Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Chi-Zhang, a culture writing critic. And this week we're discussing Stowaway, a film about surviving in outer space, and the other two, a series about surviving a pop star kid brother. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into that, Pelin, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, babes. I just made my cup of tea, you know, trying to wake up. (laughs) Yeah, I I went out into the city yesterday uh, with a friend. We went out perfume smelling because that was one of the things that the the pandemic took away from us. Oh, You know, you can't really (laughs) online shop for perfumes, you know, like you really just have to smell them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've got a very picky nose. So it was really nice to just kind of go around the... We went to Saks, which I never do, um, and just went around the uh, the counters and just smelled these lovely smells that I can't afford. So yeah. I, Did I didn't any... get anything. Okay, but... I was just gonna ask. Were any of them yeah. like speaking to you? Like, what are you into? Yeah, yeah. Actually, there's like we, the Frederick Mal counter was was the one that really did it for me. Very, very or- original scent. There, the portrait of a lady is the most famous perfume that they have. Mm. But I actually liked another one that I've now forgotten the name of. Are you into perfumes? Are you like, you know, do you do you <laughs> like the olfactory scents uh, ah. stuff? I have to confess, no, I'm a complete perfume dummy. I like things that smell nice, but I've never... I I guess I'm not super into, like, the super strong scents on someone's clothes or body. Um, Yeah. But I guess I like some, like, floral scents, some, like, citrus scents. Um, Kind of a complete idiot beyond those. I don't really know what any of the other scents are. No, that's all right. You like like the light touch. Do you? um, I have a question for you. Are you... (laughs) <laughs> are you a smelly person like naturally is your body does it produce strong odors like no. mine does oh no i guess that's probably my my privilege that yeah. means i don't have to care about this as much thankfully i'm like very lucky in that no the, i yeah you've got you've got like the, sh- the gene that everybody wants basically yes yeah yeah i'm i'm very i'm classic middle eastern i'm just like very sour <laughs> like mm. Uh, which is also one of the reasons why us Middle Easterners love uh, a strong scent, which I also I agree with you. I really hate like I really hate walking into a room and just smelling somebody else's perfume. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do love getting close to someone and them smelling really interesting or different. So that's kind of what I'm going for. But I don't know. I'll bite the bullet on something soon. Um, yeah, you got to have some sense for venturing out into the world again yeah. now that you are two weeks, two plus weeks after that. Two that plus weeks. Shot. Yeah. The thing is, I used to think I was like you, where I like the floral light scents, and then mm. I've found out in the last year or so that I'm really into like much stronger notes than mm-hmm. I thought I would be. So like sandalwood is my shit. Like I love like a a, mm. a low burning musk situation. Mm-hmm. Like I like to kind of think of it as walking into an enchanted forest and you just smell like yeah. deep moss. You know that's like my shit. Classic tourist vibes. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. What about you? What have you been up to this week? Well, I just got the second dose, so I spent yesterday lying around on my couch the whole day, and it really just like hits you, Uh, just like the fatigue and just not wanting to move or do anything. Uh, Yeah, yeah. But yeah, thankfully, I think I'm over that that peak right now, and hopefully, you can hear the pep that I'm injecting in my voice at the moment. <laughs> I can. Well, congratulations, <laughs> first of all. But as it's buffering inside of you, I'm very, very happy. I'm very happy Thank for you. like 
Jenny from two weeks, like two weeks from now, oh, where yeah. you're just like out and about. Oh, future me oh, is going to be so happy. It's so, so happy. <laughs> yeah, it really, it really does a number on your mental health, like in a good way. So I'm very happy for you. Excited for it. Yeah. Um, Okay, great. So, you know, dose, vaccine stuff, real life aside, um, what mm-hmm. have you been watching this week, Colin? So this week I watched Stowaway. It is a film that's on Netflix and it's co-written by Joe Penner and Ryan Morrison and it's directed by Joe Penner, who is a Brazilian director that I don't, I've never really heard of him. I don't think he's done anything notable on the international stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, the film is about a team of three astronauts. They are played by Tony Collette as Marina, the commander, Daniel Day Kim as David, and Anna Kendrick as Zoe. Zoe is the physician, but David and Zoe are both like the researchers. This is Marina's uh, final miss- mission, and it's uh, David and Zoe's first mission, and they're, they are embarking on a two-year mission to Mars. So I really didn't know what to expect from this film because of the fact that the director and the writer I've never really heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, but the cast is a very, very strong cast. So like I'm contractually obligated to watch anything that Tony Collette is in. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that was kind of what sold it to me. And then obviously like Daniel J. Kim, we very rarely see him in feature films. Yeah. So it was really such a, a pleasure to watch him. Anna Kendrick, you know, you know, she's, the classic girl next door and she's lovely and she plays someone that's also really lovely in this film so you know that typecast is working for her really well Mm -hmm. um when did you watch this did you what were your thoughts on it yeah i watched this um upon your recommendation i was surprised to see tony collett like pleasantly surprised for a movie that is kind of like yeah just like a a netflix release i guess nothing like major Mm -hmm. there's no like huge pr blitz around this yeah but yeah so i watched it uh, a couple days ago and i thought i'm not a big like space genre person mm. um so i don't really know like how does it hold up against other films in the same genre yeah uh i found parts of it touching like really as they get into i guess the parts that are more about like human spirit and like sacrifice yeah. and stuff like that but i will say for a lot a lot of it i was like this is Things are happening, but also it feels like they are not. Yeah. Um, was kind of my main feeling for most of this. The reason, so the reason why I wanted to talk about it, it has a lot to do with that feeling Mm -hmm. because it is, you know, given where it's set, you have assumptions about how it's going to go and it doesn't, it doesn't kind of play those assumptions out for you. And you kind of don't know what the vibe is, but I appreciated what the filmmakers were going for. Mm. So, I read some reviews, they're very mixed, but they kind of like help me on my, on the compass of like where I want, wanted my feedback to be. Mm-hmm. I mostly liked it. And the reason why I mostly liked it is because it's a, it's a space film, but it's, it's very, very rooted in reality in terms of it's basically three coworkers and there's the presence of a company, like the, the company that they all work for mm, and that relationship. <laughs> And them kind of being left alone to figure it out and like to solve a problem. Before I get too ahead of myself, let me just give you guys some context about how the film goes. So the first 20 minutes or so, and this is kind of what grabbed me, was the first 20 minutes is just basically them about to go up. So we have kind of close close shots of the three of them as a ship is leaving Earth into orbit. And... We don't really see any, we don't see any wides of the ship in space. We don't see any of that. We just kind of see their reactions. We see how their body kind of moves. 
um, which I thought was an interesting choice because it is kind of like getting into that minutiae. We rarely see it. Like we get maybe in, in other space films, we get maybe a couple of seconds of it. But that was a thing that really grabbed me because I was just like, that's a choice. And it's very intentional. So as that happens, then we get into them just kind of unpacking and getting settled in. And it really crystallizes that excitement of going on a mission, what that looks like. It's just, it, you know, it, it is communicated to us through the dialogue that it this is for them like a once in a lifetime opportunity, especially for David and Zoe, because it's their first trip. Um, and for David, it's like years of research that's about to kind of happen on Mars. And then obviously, because there's such a slow burn of a build-up, you assume that it's just gonna go absolutely south, which it kind of does, but not in the way that you think it's going to. Because at one point, we have Michael, who is played by Shamir Anderson. He's a technician that, for some weird reason, and this is never explained to us, um, <laughs> is injured and drilled into part of the ship, and he falls out, and then they have to figure out what to do with him. Because there's Three people on the spaceship, and now there's four of them. He doesn't really have a, jo a job to do. They try and, you know, get him to do some grunt work. But that moment, I think the part where I realized, like, oh, this is just a very deliberately thought-out space film, <laughs> was the way that Shamir Anderson reacted to finding out that he is now going to be stuck on a ship for two years. <laughs> which Yeah, that freak out. That freak out. I mean, he has like a panic attack, which is completely understandable. But mm -hmm. like, imagine put yourself... <laughs> you can't help but put yourself in that position where you're just like, what the fuck would I do if I woke up on a spaceship? I look out a window and the Earth is looking back at me. And I know that that means that I'm not going to see my family for years. <laughs> so it was just it really well acted, really well thought out. But, you know, that that the, the way that he ended up on that ship is never, uh, like I said, it's never explained to us. Which, which then irritated me, to be honest. It is um, irritating. Yeah, but I, I initially I thought that was an oversight. And now I think that is by design mm. um, because it makes you tense. You know, you don't know whether he put himself there uh, because you find out that he is trying to be, a, you know, a researcher astronaut, much like the people on the ship. So you're just like, oh, so he maybe did this intentionally to kind of fast track um, <laughs> his career. But then that doesn't play out. But then you think, so is there a fifth person? that put him there and now is oh. just going to take them out one by one. It's yeah, just when I saw like um you know the the synopsis and it said this was a thriller, I was expecting something more sinister, yes. I will say. So definitely. Yes. As these things that you anticipate do not transpire, uh the film eventually tells you that this is actually a horror story about mathematics. <laughs> <laughs> which um you know really chilled me to my bone as someone that fucking sucked at maths growing up um space travel is about maths like i mean i know that everyone's like yeah fucking obviously but <laughs> i didn't know this i didn't know this until i realized like much later on in my teens that basically calculations are the reason why people are in space and this becomes a central problem in the film so Every good film, especially with regards to anything that, you know, builds tension, there has to be problems that arise. It has to be like a natural disaster or somebody doing something that is the opposite of what they should be doing. Um, and in space travel, there's a, you know, there's a plethora of things that can go wrong. And in this film, the part of the ship that scrubs the carbon dioxide stops working, which means that oxygen is depleting, like fresh oxygen is depleting, which makes it all the more like terrible because that ship is only designed for three people to have oxygen 
And we have a fourth person that they weren't expecting, which then makes way for a moral dilemma for everybody on that ship. So that this was the point where I I realized that, that this is just a film about humanity and about what people would do, which is essentially what all good space films try to do. You know, by going out into the sci-fi world or by going out into space, we try and learn something about the, I I guess, the horrors, but also, you know, the good of humanity, which this, for, for an instance, I didn't know where the film was going. But once this moral dilemma was presented to us. I was very much locked in. <laughs> so what was going through your mind when you were watching this? Because I think what moral dilemmas do is they present that question to the viewers as well as they're watching it. So what were your thoughts when you were watching it? Because I don't know, man. I don't know what I would do if I was in their position. Yeah. I mean, it is a really hard and some possible question to, to ask of people who, you know, are basically scientists and astronauts. Like, they're trained for everything every possibility, but not something like this. Um, and I thought there was a really, there was an interesting point where Tony Collette's character as the commander, she's talking to, you know, Hyperion, like the base back on earth. And she's like, you know, we have to give them enough time to try to like come to terms with this and try to find a solution because otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to completely devastate them. They're not going to be able to do anything because of the guilt they have from, essentially killing a third you know killing a a person um so we have to let them try which i guess says something but i was also like i found it intriguing but also i was like a little bit frustrated by how like every possible thing that could have gone wrong did go wrong yeah Yeah, and i maybe that's more realistic of them to do that like or like it's it's portrays some kind of realism and them choosing to to make those decisions but yeah I don't know, every time something happened, and it's something that I just, like, did not really have a grasp of, like, okay, again, like, why did this guy, how did he get stuck in here? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. And then how did this thing break? Uh, I don't know. And how did they not have the extra, like, any extra backups for, like, margin of error? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. And then, like, just, like, thing after thing kept going wrong, and at a certain point I was like, I don't know if they're just, like, bullshitting everything, um, and how much of this is, like, you know, it should just, I should see it as more like tragic than frustrating. Um, but I found myself yeah. a little bit more on the frustrated end. That's fair. I, I think what I took away from that was that companies will cheat you out and cheat out yeah, their employers. That's, that's true. They really uh, did not have a fucking clue. They didn't have a Earth. clue. Yeah. And at one point in the film, they say like, hey, this ship was designed for two people, but they tried to cheap out. So they got rid of one layer of protection between oh my the interior and the exterior of, of space to kind of lighten up the load to make the mathematics work out for three people. And, and that is like, <laughs> I mean, listen, that's believable to me. Like I would, <laughs> I I completely, I buy that. Um, So yeah, that's fair. I get what you mean though. I do think that there are instances where like things just, they, they just never get a, a break from it, which, you know, sometimes you do need it. Sometimes you need the happy ending. Sometimes you need the thing that just kind of gives some relief to the audience. But the reason why I did like this film is because of the way that the tension is built up because of the emission of information throughout the plot the viewer is naturally tense because you're expecting you know given the genre you are expecting something either terrible to go wrong or like some kind of element to 
explain the 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 randomness of the event. But um, when that doesn't happen, you finally realize that actually we are just trying to see how the characters are going to react to this situation, and we're also proved wrong with their reactions because there are also several instances where you think that there's a possibility that it gets really violent between them. Classic Lord of the Fly situation. When there's finite resources and somebody's life depends on it and one person out of that group has to die, you can expect, like, for the most part, especially in films, like, you expect people to get violent, get really Hobbesian, like, man against man. (laughs) You know, when that doesn't happen, you realize how everyone's trying to be helpful and every one of these characters is inherently good, which surprised me. And... I don't know. I I just didn't. I really didn't expect that, and it took me by surprise. Mainly because that's not how I am. Like I genuinely, if I was writing this film, I would expect that one person would just be like, "Fuck this! I'm just going to kill this other person," and then our, sol- our problem is solved, and I don't have to die. Like there's a point in the film where David hands Michael basically a, a shot to kill himself, and obviously my knee jerk reaction was like, "Okay, so he's just going to take that and kill him." like kill David as he should because he's got the opportunity to do that now and that doesn't happen and instead we are presented with that that frustrating uphill battle of trying to go against maths which obviously doesn't ever happen like that's the thing about maths I will remember this from my math teacher for the rest of my life maths doesn't care about how you feel it doesn't care about any of that it just is and that again that's the horror of it um, so in the rest of the film, it, it just, you know, they try and try to to get things done. And then obviously problems are presented. And then that, you know, it, it's just, I get what you mean. There are, in, especially in the last part of it, there there, yeah. is a, there is an instance where one thing happens that didn't need to happen. But again, I don't know why I really responded to it because it felt like a lesson about life where... It doesn't matter how everything's gonna go to shit. Yeah, it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how good your intentions are. Sometimes life will just fuck you over, and your circumstances will fuck you over, and people will die as a result. And that is is super dark. Maybe you know I'll talk about this with my therapist as to why I was like, yes, that's correct. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I I appreciated that from it and even you know the whole thing of like why do bad things happen to good people <laughs> um mm. that frustrating question that people ask um it's kind of that it's hearkened in this film and essentially yeah. towards the end of it the lesson is not necessarily that you should be rewarded for your good intentions but it's that you tried your best and that's all that matters you really try to be a good person and that's all that matters and that's kind of like the lesson and the takeaway from it i will say I think a lot of everybody's frustration with it, uh, with regards to you or with regards to the critics that didn't particularly like it, because the, the, the biggest takeaway has been like, this is good, but it wasn't all the way there. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a question of pacing. Um, I think the pacing is a bit wonky, where it's very slow at some points, and then yeah. it goes very quickly at others. So mm-hmm. the way that it's paced, I would say, in the first act, is like it's paced pretty well, but then obviously there's uh, the inciting incident, which is Michael falling out of the ship walls. And then it's paced okay in act two, and then act three is just a shit show, which is usually the case for a lot of films. It's usually the case for a lot of screenwriters, uh, the final act having like you know just getting the just tying the film up into a neat bow is just really fucking hard. So I get it. 
But I do think that it just, it felt out of place, which then makes you feel a little bit unsettled by the end of the film, uh, which I felt that way. I was just like, wait, what's going on? What, 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 what are we doing? Like, I thought we were going to wait until the, the sunstorm was over. What's going, and then. Yeah, then suddenly we need to go out into radiation. Um, yeah, yeah. Without making that super explicit. Exactly. Either. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I think, yeah, I think what you identified as like a pacing problem is is correct. But I also wish there had been a little bit more to make us care about the characters on an individual level. Like, mm. yeah, as a group, we're like, totally like, yes, we want these good astronauts to survive all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like, especially for Anna Kendrick's character, there is really nothing revealed about who she is, besides the fact that she went to Yale. And like, you, you kind of understand on a surface level, like why she would sacrifice herself for the others. Mm. You know, Michael has a, a sister he has to take care of. Yeah. David has a wife and they're trying to, to have a child. Yeah. For Marina, we don't really find out anything except yeah. this is her last mis- mission. But yeah, then for, then, then for like Zoe and a Kendrick's character, it's just like, okay, you are noble. Like she's a noble, this is a noble sacrifice. You yeah. can see she was really trying. She yeah. like has a kind of really sincere spirit that Anna Kendrick plays so well. Yeah. But then it's like, I do feel sad that she, you know, decided to do what she ultimately did. But yeah. like, do I know anything about her? Like, should I mourn in a way that's like specific to her beyond just yeah. being like... I don't know. I didn't. I felt there was a little bit lacking on that front as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing about it is the problem with doing this all on the ship. You know, we 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 don't see them on Earth at any point. We don't see anyone on Earth at any point. Mm-hmm. They are very very siloed off in the ship. It's a huge waste of Tony Collette. I think. I think she did really really good with what yeah. she was given. Like you know, she's she's, um, she's the queen of just facial acting under stress you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and she really really pulls that off absolutely and um it's interesting because i think all three of them together really worked but i would have liked to have known more about them as well i agree with you Mm -hmm. shamir anderson is great like yeah really good i mean i hadn't heard of him before um but yeah, this is like a nice introduction to him. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, overall, the thing that I like about this film is that it tries to take a genre and it tries to do something slightly different with it, which is mm. kind of root it into some form of real life where these moral dilemmas can happen on Earth too. Yeah. But they're just like, it's so much more heightened because we're in space, because, you know, that, that anxiety and that claustrophobia that you feel in space heightens everything. So I, I yeah. liked I liked how it kind of treated that. It was a bit wonky. It it does need room for improvement, but it's pretty promising, especially for like for a filmmaker for like a director that we haven't really heard of. Um, mm. I thought the score was really nice. Like I love oh, a good score in really space. Good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then I think I think everyone kind of did their best, which was which was nice. So that's uh, us in space. Let's bring it all the way back down to Earth. Uh, <laughs> what did you watch this week, Jenny? So I watched the series The Other Two on HBO Max. So this is a comedy series created by Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider, both of whom were writers for SNL at one point. Um, so this show originally premiered on Comedy Central in 2019, but it actually just landed on HBO Max 
And kind of like Warrior, its next season will be sort of released exclusively on HBO Max. It's about two millennial siblings, I guess, I would guess in like late 20s, early 30s. There's the gay aspiring actor Carrie, played by Drew Tarver, and his sister Brooke, played by Elaine York, who is, you know, a former professional dancer in her youth. And they are both, like, suddenly thrust into the orbit of fame adjacency when their 13-year-old brother Chase, played by Case Walker, becomes basically overnight a Justin Bieber-like pop star. So for anyone who's a fan of Andy Samberg's pop star never stopping, um, I think this is going to be a good pick for you. And really anyone who is into kind of, like, funny satire on, on like, stardom and celebrity culture, as well as, like, other kind of, like, millennials in cities, you know, genre, like, social media, dating, stuff like that, I think this would be a good pick. But what I find most funny was basically the question of, like, how do you best take advantage of the possibly 50 minutes of fame if you're a family who is suddenly you're just, like, orbiting around your 13-year-old kid brother who is now this pop star. If you're smart, you'll become, like, the Kardashians. You're, like, really building an empire from this. So that's what I found the most interesting about this and what sets it apart from, I think, other sort of like, oh, millennials in cities, like directionless millennials hanging out in New York or whatever. What about you, Pellin? How how far are you in this series? I finished episode four, so I'm almost halfway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really like the jokes about the millennials versus Gen Z uh, approach to fame. Mm-hmm. It's very intelligent in the way that it points it out. So I really, I've been really enjoying that. But I actually, how did you hear about this? By the way, I'm curious. I I saw it on my timeline. Basically, when people were like, "Oh yeah, it's it's getting a season two that's on HBO." Oh Max. right, right, right. So yeah. that's how I heard about it. Got it. Yeah, it's a good premise. Like I I really like how they're kind of going with it. But I didn't I didn't find it that funny though for the most part yeah the only things that i found funny you know not that that's the only job of a comedy series is to make me laugh throughout constantly i get that but the yeah the parts where i did find funny were were how carrie and brooke especially brooke respond to the younger generation of fame seekers because she is where she kind of doesn't really know where her life is going it's really interesting to see her react to the like 11 year olds that really have their whole life stretch planned out in front of them. Because I guess that's the difference, right? That's the difference between our generation and the younger ones, especially with regards to fame, especially because they have control. Like it's much more in their hands how they have their fame plan out. Uh, Whereas you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas like for our generation, it was entirely reliant on what other people think we're worth. Whereas I think there's a little bit more autonomy for the younger generation now. Yeah, the entrepreneurials. Um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I find that part of it funny. But the rest of it, I don't know why maybe i haven't gotten too far into it because i haven't gotten to the part where like i haven't gotten to the point where we really get into some of the more serious themes mm-hmm. um it's still kind of like world building but i don't know it's not it's not quite hitting for me i get okay. like i get why it's good but it's not quite hitting for me which is i a will first. say it definitely gets better as yeah. the show goes on like i did not really find the first two or three episodes that funny it yeah. took me a while to get into it but I think by the second half, maybe you you won't find it the same way, but I found it, the jokes were hitting more, um, yeah. we were more familiar with the characters and how they react to things and their relationships with each other, and their, some of the things that they choose to, you know, point the lens on in terms of, like, celeb culture or internet culture, I thought hit 
like more spot on in the second half of the yeah, show. Yeah, I'm definitely going to keep going. I know that this is usually the the issue with comedy series. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, don't take no <laughs> one should take my word for it. Jenny's seen the whole season, so <laughs> she knows better yeah. than I do. But yeah. maybe different senses of humor. But yeah, I would encourage you know people if you you start and you get feel a little stuck. Just keep pushing through. It's like the episodes are sh- so short. It really yeah. makes for a pretty like breezy watch overall. Definitely. Definitely. But yeah, I liked what you were saying about like fame, like generational approaches is really interesting. Like the actor who plays the 13 year old brother, Chase, um, Case Walker. It's funny. I, I saw in like a trivia fact or whatever. He was actually scouted for this role because he was, I guess, internet famous on Musical.ly, which is now known as TikTok. And mm. like in famous on like Instagram and stuff. So that is like, you know, kind of actually where the actor is at and like where, you know, it matches up in terms of the role that he's yeah. playing. And I guess what it's trying to say a little bit more about the the new generation and like celebrity culture and fame. Yeah. yeah. So that was really interesting. In terms of the characters, I'm like pleasantly surprised by Brooke. Um I don't yeah. know if you have like a preference between carrie i do i do i do Um, prefer brooke i do prefer brooke yeah 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 you said you i think you said you identified with her a little bit more yeah it's funny i was kind of like a little bit annoyed by her at the beginning Mm -hmm. because she just like fucks up so much stuff yeah she's Um, annoying she is annoying. yeah yeah but she surprisingly becomes like the most responsible person and protective of her little brother as they go deeper into this like alice in wonderland almost kind of like fall into fame and celebrity which was like surprisingly some really nice character growth for from her and like a half hour comedy series and then the mom, who's played by Molly Shannon, who's, like, a veteran in, like, the comedy scene. Yeah, she's a legend. She, yeah, she's, yeah. like, she's very funny as, like, kind of, like, the the Chris Jenner of the group, almost. She's, like, really going for it with how she pursues fame and, like, takes advantage of this time. Like, talk show appearances, children's books, jewelry line, etc. Everything that you can think of. And a lot of it has to do with masking the grief that she felt after her husband died. Um, that's kind of the one... I guess, like, the heartfelt strain throughout the show that is otherwise pretty um, flippant most of the time is the fact that, like, this family's dad died recently and they can't even really tell the youngest brother what he died of. They keep telling him he died of cancer, which is obviously, it becomes obvious that that was not the case. And then there's, like, a really touching moment later on in the series that you might see of Helen where, like, all of it comes out to the open, and the mom is basically like, this is my year of yes, like, don't I deserve it after a lifetime and, you know, especially these past years of just covering for my husband and, like, grief and just, like, not being able to do anything. Now I can finally live a little, so please let me live. And I found that, like, surprisingly touching for, you know, having a spot in this kind of show where they had that a little bit, which I I felt my mom was in the room when I was watching this, too. So I, like, immediately made me think of her, like, someone in a similar age and probably situation, something like that. Yeah. I love when comedy series kind of take something like grief as the turning point for the other characters in, in in the series. Like, Weeds did that. Uh, Weeds mm. was also like the death of the father, um, oh. and the death of the husband, and then kind of like how Nan- like how the Botwins basically picked themselves back up from that and kind of kept it going. And that was a little bit messier and a little bit darker in some senses, but it always works because grief really does that. Like it is a transformation. There, there's definitely a reason why like tragedy and comedy are seen as like you know the two sides of the same coin. Yeah, but yeah, it's really you know you can really 
transform tragedy into very darkly funny moments. Um, yes. Like even here, the this moments of seriousness, it's real. It's set in this like completely tragic comical setting. Um, you know, they're when it all comes out, they're in in the air in an airplane during an album release party for oh, uh, the little brother, surrounded by screaming fans and live streaming to the entire world. Yeah, so that's really like the absurdity and like the the comical aspect of what is coming out about their family it does other oh go ahead sorry like yeah i i really really love how much it presses upon how embarrassing internet culture fame is yes it really really just like grinds you into it and you're just like fuck this is so it's just too much like wanda sykes's character she's like oh she's funny first of all shout out wanda sykes like (laughs) love her seeing her in this was really a true delight because she just brings that ridiculousness of the entire situation and how flippant it can be like uh, the, yeah. in in episode four with um uh chase just released the video of his gay brother like the mm. gay brother music video and the way that they just go back and forth between like taking it down putting it up taking it down like all the beats in which something is reacted to by the entire world and how that <laughs> how that it's just it's just really smart like that's that my favorite thing about this is how smart it is about the way that it sees internet culture and the way that other people seek internet culture and respond to it yeah um, yeah and for context wanda sykes she plays like an executive like a pr executive at the the label so she's like very smart very no nonsense very like savvy in this role but also yeah like the the way that she delivers everything so as an executive would, it really highlights the absurdity of, yeah, yeah, the internet culture and internet fame and how everything works right now. Yeah. Um, and if you like that kind of thing, there will be an episode, I think, later on that was also about, like, I think really smart in its depiction or, like, a uh, subversion of the, the idea of, like, instagays, like that. Oh, yeah. And how Carrie tries to, like, become an instagay or, like, take advantage of that um, to get a little bit fame. Oh, um, yeah. But it, like, turns it around on its head also, and I think in a very smart way mm-hmm. um but yeah the, the show is full of moments like that and then there's also i also wanted to add really quickly that there are some really strong guest appearances and like cameos because you know it pulls deep from like the snl scene or like the comedy scene and like the the new york acting scene since it's a set of new york yeah um so i i couldn't believe like you know even just like they open with like oh they have actually kathy lee and like hoda here <laughs> yeah. they have like mario lopez they have like andy cohen they get patrick wilson like people who are famous enough that you wouldn't necessarily think they would be on a half hour comedy essential series um but yeah i guess that's the advantage of having showrunners who are literally like deep in the snl scene that's new york baby yeah new york its own acting world Um, (laughs) but otherwise yeah i unexpectedly ended up liking the show a lot i'm excited for season two whatever gets released on hbo max mm. yeah i would definitely encourage you palin to to keep going and if oh, you I end will. up yeah not yeah. liking and if you end up still not liking it or finding it funny by the end of this let me know and we can you can convince me yeah i was gonna say we can like fight in the street yeah yeah i mean but... we can also fight yeah <laughs> or i'll like send you a, a <laughs> i don't know a, a mail order cupcake to be like sorry that <laughs> why we would you do that on this it's okay for us to not agree on things this is yeah. the str- this showcases the strength of our friendship is that we, <laughs> we have the w- range sometimes we don't like the same things and it's totally fine 
yeah. uh, but I mean, listen, if you want to square up, like we can always square up. I'm always ready uh, to go. I know. I already know that I would lose as any. No, any, I don't, somehow <laughs> I don't think one, that's so. correct. I feel like you have you have inner strength that has oh yet to God. come out. It'll anyway. be a very long time before it comes out. But thank you very much. Yeah. Um, well, I hope we never actually <laughs> fight. <laughs> but. Um, yeah. in the meantime I'm definitely going to keep going like I think uh, I'm still having a good time like when I laugh I laugh out very loud which mm-hmm. is uh, really good and that rarely ever happens but it's a great filler for like a 20 minute 30 minute sitcom yeah that I'm missing. very easy to get through yeah So that's what we've been watching this week for Culture Notes. So you guys are listening to this on a Tuesday or, what you know, any other day that you finally get around to this. So the Oscars would have already have happened. Yes, I know the Oscars <laughs> actually happened. Uh, I think everybody has forgotten that the Oscars got cancelled sometime in January and then got rescheduled to April and then everybody forgot it existed because... No one really watches award shows anymore because no one's trying to watch hours of a Zoom conference, basically. Um, well, I just wanted to talk about this in culture because I would like to know what your predictions are for some of the winners, Jenny. And then we will basically find out by the time this is released if we were right or incredibly wrong. Uh, not that this means anything for us because anything can go any type of way. Uh, we're just going to do the, the basically the four main categories. We're going to do best actor, best actress, best director, best picture. The rest of it, you know, too fucking long. Plus, you guys would have found out who it is anyway <laughs> by the time you listen to this. <laughs> we're just doing this to prove something to ourselves maybe yeah that maybe our ears are super duper to the ground and we really know what (laughs) we're talking about um and if we get all of this wrong uh no we didn't so yes exactly (laughs) um so for best actor jenny who you got the nominees are anthony hopkins riz ahmed steven yun uh chadwick boseman and gary oldman well shit Okay, I uh, and I'm going to say up front, I have not watched uh, quite a few of these movies, so I'm just kind of going based off, I want to say either Chadwick mm-hmm. or Gary is my choice. My, my, okay, my reasoning for Chadwick is as more of kind of like a an honorary thing as a yeah. tribute. Yeah. Um, but my pick, you know, my guess for Gary Oldman is the fact that Hollywood loves Mank, the Academy loves Mank, mm. and they... They love Gary Oldman, and so that might be their kind of institutional pick. Got it. But I'm not sure which one they would go with. What yeah. about you? I think I'm going to go Chadwick as well because I think it's it's going to be a symbolic yeah. gesture. Yeah, I would I would go for him. Would you go for anybody? Yeah. If if Chadwick was not there, who do you think would have gotten it? Still Gary? I think Gary would have gotten okay. it. Okay. I think Anthony Hopkins would have gotten it. Okay, I've not seen The Father, so I have no idea. But he also, you know, is one of the... He pulls a lot of, you know, respect. So yeah, yeah. People love people Anthony. People might go man. for him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Best Actress, who you got? The nominees are Andre Day, Vanessa Kirby, Carrie Mulligan, Viola Davis, and Frances McDormand. Hmm. Wow. Mm. <laughs> I think they're going to do Frances McDormand. What about you? Hmm. I will say, okay, I'm going to go with Carrie Mulligan. Ooh, okay. It's not my personal favorite. My That's personal, totally I, fair. Yeah, I, I think if anybody's going to win it, it should be Francis. But I think they're going to give it to Carrie. 
like it feels like the moment to reward Carrie for this like kind of film. I don't know. You know, with Promising Young Woman, it's just really weird. I think it's like Crash, you know? Like, I think at the time that it came out, people were like losing it. And I think now that time has passed, me included, I'm like, I don't know if it was that good. <laughs> um, but I do think that like the the age range of the Academy voters probably think this is like super revolutionary as a film. So they want to reward Carrie. I don't know. All right. Okay. Um, all right. Next up, Best Director. The nominees are Thomas Vinterberg, David Fincher, Chloe Zhao, uh, uh, Emerald Fennell. I'm gonna. I know that it's Fennell, but I'm gonna just keep calling her Fennell. Um, oh, it's Fennell. Apparently, um, I don't know. I've heard a mix of it. I have no idea. Um, let's stick with the. Let's stick with Fennell. <laughs> we're sticking with Fennell. Um, <laughs> Lee and then Lee Isaac Chung. Who you got? Shit. I don't think it's gonna go to Thomas Vinterberg for another round, which is sad. Yeah, he's a bloody I, good director. Maybe again, this is like my cynical side. Like, okay, the Academy loves Mank. I think they might give give it to david fincher mm. or i keep doing like two choices which is cheating at me but or uh chloe Zhao. Mm. so i think because i've been like watching the awards for all the other stuff like the sag the oh. writers guild uh-huh. and mr fincher has not gotten a, a single significant award which really yeah which i think is like good <laughs> sorry i just i didn't like Mank. you know that but no i know i know i know but it's just funny because you think again like you think that this would be exactly the shit that you know they would love but i guess yeah. not. um yeah i'm gonna go with chloe okay yeah yeah i think everybody can respect the vision for chloe yeah, yeah she's great all right the last category that we're gonna try and predict uh best picture the nominees are sound of metal mank minari promising young woman the father judas and the black messiah the trial of the chicago seven and nomadland who you got jenny hmm i'm gonna go for wild card i'm what if they what if it was minari i don't know i'll just <gasps> say minari i think that's a very wild card and i actually don't think it's super likely but yeah sure let's let's i'll say minari what about you i'm gonna say nomadland i think nomadland's got it in the bag which That's probably true. Yeah, which works out for me because it's my favorite film out of all of them. So I'm pretty happy about it. I think like I've noticed a lot of people like Nomadland's been getting a lot of best film in all the other awards shows, mm-hmm. uh, and people are kind of getting bored of it and and then thinking that it means that like the prediction of it is boring, so the film is boring. It's not. This is clearly like the best film out of the group. Of There's these. like a a backlash to Nomadland for sure. Yeah, which um, is fucking stupid. So I I'm just I'm pressing down on it. Nomadland is hands <laughs> down the best film out, that has come out out of all of these nominees, and it should win. I mean, I would I would agree with that. Yeah, but I might. Okay, I'm not going to change my pick because it was truly a wildcard pick. But yeah, in no, fuck theory, it. In theory, Nomadland, sure. I, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. All right. Um, well, those are our predictions. <laughs> By the time you guys listen to this, you would have found out if we're right or not. Um, and if we're wrong on all counts, uh, again, no, we're not. So um, <laughs> we did not go back and edit this. No, we, that is way too much work. In entirely too much work, but. I guess the final thing that I would say is that I'll be interested to see how people react to the Oscars. I'll be interested to see how many people watched it because they have been Mm. steady dwindling, which which has been interesting to watch the floundering that has happened in the industry. And I'm really curious, like once the pandemic, you know, once we're out of the eye of the storm and then we kind of regain some sense of normalcy, like how it's going to be next year. I don't know if they're going to come back with a big 
uh, like a big production. Like Steven Soderbergh mm-hmm. is the one producing it this year, so I'm curious about how that's going to go. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll see, man. But you know, the Oscars don't mean shit, really. <laughs> and I think like this year has kind of showcased how how much that is the case. So anyway, that's it for this week. Uh, just a heads up to our listeners, I will be watching Mayor of Easttown on a week-to-week basis. It's on HBO, HBO Max, and um, I will be talking about about it eventually at one one of our episodes in the near future. So if you guys want to watch with me and you know get involved by the time that episode is out, please watch Mayor of Easttown. Um, but there will be a lot of TV coming in in the next couple of weeks, thank God, because it's been pretty dry <laughs> for me and Jenny. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, if you are watching anything that you think we should check out, let us know at criticismisdead at gmail.com or just at us or DM us at criticismisdead all one word on Twitter and Instagram for extended show notes including links to everything that we've been talking about and more subscribe to criticisminstead.substack.com and as always thank you so much for listening please rate review us on Apple Podcasts only five stars maybe tell a friend tell all your friends now that you guys are all hanging out with your friends tell your friends Um, make this a topic of conversation yeah and um, we will see you next week Bye. bye Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelinkeskin Liu and Jenny Zhizhong. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Liu. 